Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Are you going to go through these in uh, in order, pretty much? Questions? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and we'll okay. just we'll just see where it takes us. But um, okay, yeah, the, the, we'll, I'll work pretty much just straight off the questions. Cool. Welcome to another episode of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. Today's guest is Jeff Boer from TriDot, and this is the episode about smarter training programs. And Jeff's a triathlon coach who specializes in custom design training plans, and he works with all levels of triathletes from age groupers to professionals. And he leads a coaching team of 15 TriDot certified coaches who work with hundreds of athletes all over the world. So welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Oh, thank you very much, Brent. It's so, great to be here. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Let's let's get straight into it. And if you just give me a quick sort of background on what TriDot is and, and how that came to be. Sure, um, that's that's kind of a great way to start. I think a lot of the things I'll, I'll chat about a little later are kind of from a uh, a different perspective um, than most you know most people that are listening um, have come from before. Um, you know, I'd like to say I was a you know world champion triathlete or this world renowned coach and, and came up with this great idea but I actually started I was just a young dad um, made a wife three kids and I wanted to excel at the sport uh, but I didn't want to do that at the expense of my career and my family and the whole rest of my life so uh, very early on I just you know got into the sport of triathlon and uh, wanted to do as best as I could and wanted to do well but um, I just realized that I needed to learn more I didn't want to get injured I had so many friends that were getting injured training buddies um, had them being so consumed with the sport that they were, they were getting divorced and all that. I mean, just crazy stuff. It was just taking a, its toll. Um, so I literally went out and just devoured every training resource that I could find. Uh, I was reading the, the books, um, webinars, everything that I could find, and actually got certified as uh, in, in the U.S. USAT certified coach and got multiple levels there and uh, cycling cr uh, certification. But I had no intention even at that time uh, of coaching anyone else. I was just purely selfish, wanted to learn, wanted to, to uh, just do the best jobs I could. So quickly, I became frustrated with the chaos that was out there. There's so much conflicting advice. There was, you know, one expert would say one thing, one expert would say something totally differently, and, and it didn't make sense. Um, they had a bunch of, uh, of theories and principles and philosophies. Everyone had a different one, but yet they were all expert, but they are all not agreeing. Um, so basically kind of got down to the point where I, I found two categories of um, training solutions out there. There was the, the cookie cutter approach, the one size fits all, you know, it might have a beginner, intermediate, advanced plan. You just, you know, buy it. Um, there's no athlete data considered um, in developing those plans. Um, then there's some other ones that were uh, what I call guesswork, now I call guesswork plans. They may have a lot of data um, done by an expert, highly educated coach, uh, but that coach doesn't have a lot of a lot of data a lot of athletes they're working with a handful of athletes and all of the athletes are different so I just thought this is just impossible for them to draw conclusions with you know 20 30 40 athletes with each one being different and I noticed that none of them were using any kind of a repeatable methodology or process and they weren't they weren't measuring things and uh, so I got a little um I don't know, uh, frustrated is a good word to use. I guess a lot of them had a lot of data, but it was just snapshot data. You know, it was a, a power meter file from yesterday's race, but no, no, nothing that showed a cause and effect relationship. Nothing that showed me 
um, you know, as an athlete in my you know, early 30s, what training should I specifically do to achieve these outcomes? Everything was just theory, and every single one of them sounded good, but I knew they all couldn't be true. So I kind of set out on a mission at that point. I just knew that there has to be a better way uh, to train. And, and so I have a systems engineer background in, in database and technology and all. So I just started thinking and, and studying, and um, I just didn't want to – I guess to leave my performance uh, and everything just to guesswork. And so I started studying and started looking at things and I just started defining things, looking for patterns and relationships. And over time that would ultimately become what's now the tried out training system. Um, so it was, you know, selfish at first, but you know, as it, as it began to develop and I began to see the application to other athletes, I began to continue to invest in technology and process and research and, and to find um, algorithms and, and structures to be able to do that. So just basically, in a nutshell, um, TriDot is a – it starts with a normalized process for measuring um, assessment. So your swim, bike, and run. So you're not looking at, you know, my last performance I did better. I was ranked in the top 50 of my uh, age group or top 15 of my age group for a run, and I was, you know, on the podium for the bike. You know what I'm saying? I'm top three. And so you're not making these arbitrary or subjective uh, evaluations of your – uh, performance. Uh, instead, I have a, a scale of zero to 85. So on the zero uh, end is someone who can barely move, uh, very beginners. Uh, 85 would be a world-class performance. And so it's a, on that scale, the swim, bike, and the run are all measured. And so you do an, uh, an assessment and it gives you a score in each one. So from there, we're not only able to uh, determine which is your strength and which is your weakness, but we can tell by how much. Uh, we can tell degrees of training focus that we need to shift. We can uh, when we take into account your other athlete parameters, your height, your weight, body composition, age, all those things, we can start uh, further predicting what your what kind of training is going to produce what type of results uh, for that athlete and which one, uh, how much those results are going to turn into race day time gains. Um, doing it further into uh, measuring workload, the composition of a, at the sub-session level, uh, what kind of workload, how do you quantify that, how do you manage it through the week or over a series of weeks, how do you how does that different than stress and then developing algorithms into a larger program design to where you're taking the the athlete all their characteristics and the performance data and pulling it together in a methodical way uh, so that you're able to reproduce the same results for the same type of athletes and then building in a kind of a dynamic feedback loop to where you're taking those results and the race results and the assessments throughout training and you're able to pull that back in and further modify and enhance and improve uh, the system itself so I know there's a, there's a quote out there from uh, Lord Kelvin. He said, if it's not measured, it can't be improved. And I kind of at first said, well, if it can't be defined, it can't even be measured. <laughs> so we started just by defining and then further honing it. And TriDot today is what it is because of the results that it's actually produced for athletes. And it, and it continues to be improved with every single athlete that goes through the system. I love that approach that you're using a very data-driven approach and uh, scientific approach because if you look at the, the top – coming from my background, the top, the top swimmers, the Olympians, they're all using, they're using video feedback, but in terms of their race um, pace and things like that, they'll look at you know, what, was their, what was their split up to the 15-meter mark, what was their split in and out of the flags, and it's all very data-driven um, and very scientific approach. And you're doing the, the same thing for triathlons, which I think is um, a really good way to go. And the reason, the reason why I wanted to interview on the podcast was because we've got a very similar philosophy, and that's about training smarter rather than training harder. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with training hard and you 
obviously need to do that. But um, there's a lot of athletes out there who can, you know, just push themselves um, hard in training, but they, you know, they can forget about the approach of just being smarter with your training. So just being, you know, changing your sessions so that they're specific and they're training the right uh, you know, training zones. So what are some of the, the common training myths that you hear out there? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Um, one of the things that, um, that you just mentioned a second ago with the, the video feedback and, and with technique work, you see this all the time. It's been around for quite a while. You're able to look exactly at what, uh, you know, what an athlete should do in the water or on the, you know, run form, and you can compare it to here's a definite right and here's a definite wrong. Here's something to fix. Um, but you know, with training for fitness, you don't have that visibility. Um, so some of those myths out there that with that increased visibility that we've been able to see, um, are, are things like, um, the, the intensity, like you mentioned before, the, the no pain, no gain, you know, if I work harder, I'm going to improve just by working harder, um, and giving more effort or more intensity that that's going to increase, um, the results. And it's actually has a, there's a, a point at which, you know, you have to work harder. You can't, you know, it's not an easy Thing. training isn't easy for sure but there's an inverse relationship between uh increased stress and the higher intensity you go or the longer duration and so as each incremental or the marginal benefit the mar marginal propensity uh to perform better or to improve um, that starts to diminish the higher you go but the risk risk of injury goes up so that first thing is just there's there's certain thresholds that exist for each person it's different per person you mentioned you know, training zones. And that's one of the metrics that are out there is you have these zones based on max heart rate or functional threshold heart rate or a number of, uh, of different ways of calculating this, this threshold uh, intensity. So people have a good concept of, I know I need to vary it up to some degree, um, but, but where they don't know is where is that threshold? How much of that intensity should I do? How much of each intensity is beneficial, not just in one session, but you know, over the course of a week. And so you find people just working as hard as they can. They think the more pain and the more I can put myself through, like it's uh, the more I can punish my body and the more my body is able to suffer or endure, that means the, the better I'm going to do on race day. Um, and that's just completely not true. So when they try to work smarter, um, oftentimes they don't know what smarter looks like. It's guessing. They, they know that they're looking for something, um, but they, they don't have any metrics there to work. And that's really the one of the second myths is a lot of the metrics they find in absence of meaningful uh, metrics, athletes, we all do. We all start to assign meaning to metrics that exist. So if you can't explain why something happens, you look at the things you can observe and you try to attach meaning to those. And so you find a lot of athletes that are uh, driven to look at weekly mileage, thinking I need to get my weekly mileage to X or my, or kilometer. What do you say? Kilometerage. Um, Okay. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, your training hours uh, is another thing. They say, I need to get X number of hours per weekend. I need to get more time in the pool. So they'll go jump in for another 45 minutes to get to this arbitrary number uh, of hours or distance. And when those things don't matter at all, those things are derivative. Those things are um, just incidental. They happen if you're doing smart, purposeful training and they are what they are. Uh, another thing is sessions per week. A lot of, I'll need to get, I need to get five runs in. And something of this magic about five runs, um, not the purpose behind each of those five runs. If each one of those is purposeful, if you're benefiting from each one of those, then those are good things to do. And if, if that totals 20 hours a week, so be it. If it's 10 hours a week, so be it. Um, whatever that is. And, and those thresholds are what the meaningful metrics are. 
what the, the sessions are comprised of, and then the total distance, the time and duration, all of those things. Uh, another one that's very common is just the fact that more is better. So it's not so much the intensity, but it's just volume, period. Um, you know, base training, when you talk about a periodized approach, so athletes will say, okay, I need to be purposeful, so I need to have these periods during my season. Um, and base has come to mean, for, for many, many athletes, just high volume. It's just you do a ton of volume during that period, um, which is one of the worst things that you can do. Uh, for a lot of athletes that need to develop, they spend most, like especially long runs, um, long swims too. For athletes that are slower runners, often they'll, in a, in a base period, they'll run a marathon or they'll try to do these long runs uh, to improve their runability. But what they end up doing is training themselves to run very slow. Um, they're generally uh, heavier. They're not, it's not the pro doing this. It's, it's a heavier athlete, the ones that have poor run form. So uh, a good age grouper can maintain good run form for 40 to 60 minutes. And then the form starts breaking down over time. So someone that's doing these consistent long runs is teaching their body to run slow. They're teaching themselves most of the time that they're running to run with bad form. Uh, they're introducing way more stress on their body than they would if they had shorter um, runs and would teach them to run faster. And we found in looking at all of these different um, areas that uh, about these myths that that athletes are wasting on average about 40% of their total training time is non-productive. Either uh, the, the, the harm from it, the stress from it, they're not recovering, or it's just not even stimulating the response that they're, they're trying to achieve. So essentially 40% of what they're doing. So with, on the TriDot system, our athletes are actually able to produce better performance gains on, on 20 to 30% fewer training hours. So those you know, those myths really add up when you start embedding those principles or philosophies that are just, um, you know, educated guesses into how you build your training plan. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that, uh, you know, doing, you know, working harder or doing more hours training, one of the things that that reminds me of was that um, I think it was about 30 years ago with, um, with swimmers at least was that they were told to not, um, you know, just, just, just something funny that, um, you know, one of the, the, tr the things about training that's kind of changed over the years is uh, about 30 years ago, swimmers were told not to drink during training because it um, would help them improve. It would help them get, get tougher. Um, so uh -huh. essentially, they'd be dehydrating themselves over an hour, two hours, um, and not being able to drink, so their performance would just drop. But, you know, it's one of those um, things that I think was done um, a number of years ago, but, you know, coaches and athletes um, are now switching on to these smarter training programs and, and being specific with, with what they're doing. And, and leading into that, so what, you know, what do you think some of the key components are to the intentional type of training that you're talking about? Yeah, well, I think you know, everybody out there uh, is intentional. I mean, they're not doing things by accident. You know, it's not, oops, I just ran a 10K. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's deliberate in what they're doing. So it's just the degree to which uh, they are intentional. And uh, you can have intentional out, uh, activities. I guess you're always engaged in intentional activities, but I'm talking more about the outcome, knowing that that, out, that activity is going to lead to that outcome. The cause and effect is what I'm talking about, the intentionality, rather than a, a trial and error. Like here's a philosophy or here's, you know, I'm sampling somebody else's workout. I'm going to see how this does. Or, hey, here's what works for this athlete. Let's try this. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. Not not the trial and error appro approach, but the the – I know what outcome is going to come from this type of, uh, of training. So some of the things that are necessary for that to happen, 
Uh, one is to define things, to have that definition and the standardization and, and be able to know specifically what are you uh, tracking and what are you managing. Um, that's the incorporation of athlete data. Uh, that's the um, measurement of workload, the me measurement of intervals within uh, a set. How long should they be? How long should the rest be? How long, how intense should the rest? Is it complete rest or not complete rest? And being able to, to measure that at the subsession level plus the, the weekly and, and monthly or mesocycle level. So what is being measured and, and how is that defined? Um, next is beyond definition is the measurement of that and how is it managed? So what are those thresholds over a time uh, that, that you don't pass? Or how much difference does it make? Say if you have a 50-year-old athlete versus a 30-year-old athlete, um, what changes? Um, what do you manage differently and by how much? What are those trades off? And, and is it the same for every discipline or is it, or is it different for the different disciplines? Some of the things, um, cycling, for example, doesn't have the same um, changes over time as you age. Um, athletes lose muscle or uh, some muscle mass, but if they keep working out as they get older, they, they can retain that muscle mass, but they start to lose, they can lose bone density uh, more quickly. So it impacts older athletes more on the run um, than on the bike or the swim. And so how do you manage those and what are those thresholds and where do they come from? And, and to get to some of those things, one of the things that you have to have is a repeatability. You have to have a, a methodical approach so you go through certain steps, uh, kind of back to that, that quote, if it's not measurable, it's not improvable. If you're not measuring these things and doing something in a, in a progressive or a, a certain fashion every single time, you're not able to tell what changed. There's just too many dynamic variables and you can't attribute an outcome to a cause. Uh, and then the last thing that you need uh, is data. Uh, and this is from a homogeneous population. So you have to have a basis or a control set. You have to say when these training variables were applied to 50 different athletes that meet the same criteria, what happened? And that's where um, I never found that when I was first starting out and I look at it, no one could ever produce enough of the same athletes that they treated and trained in the same way. Everything changed. The athletes changed, the methodology changed, the metrics they were trying to use changed or didn't exist. And so there was never a way that they could actually attribute a specific uh, training technique, um, you know, to a, a specific uh, athlete or circumstance or an activity. Yeah. And that I was listening to the, uh, I was listening to the radio yesterday and they're interviewing um, an AFL footballer, which is an Australian footballer over here. Um, and he was talking about um, football, football players being in the system. And it sounds very similar to what you're sort of talking about is, you know, having a system there, like the, the tri-dot system, for example, where you can, you know, plug in your, um, plug in your numbers and it will produce, you know, going through the system that will produce a training program that will, you know, spit out this result. Um, and it's you know similar to that AFL training system that that all of the AFL players go through, um, so that's um, you know and and you know as much as people uh, you know personally myself as well I sometimes like to you know you like to wing um, some training sessions and things like that, um, and you want to have that um, sometimes you want to have that excitement of not knowing exactly what you'll you'll go and having that you know not being one hundred percent sure. Um, whether you go this time or you might just knock it out of the park and go faster, but you know, going through a specific training sort of system and plan, um, it can really um, produce you know, better results than if you are winging it, like I'm talking about. So, you know, what are some of the advantages of, of having a personalised training program um, for, for you? 
Yeah, well, basically, it's better performance results, fewer injuries, and more enjoyment of the sport. Mm. I mean, it's just it, it helps. It makes all the difference in the world. I like to, you know, think of a. It's kind of a. It's not even in the same sports. I mean, but it's a. It's a, it's a metaphor or a comparison. If you're cooking something, you're cooking a, a casserole. You know, sticking in the oven, and I ask you, you know, how long? Give me instructions for cooking a casserole. Say how long. Do you put it in there? How hot do you turn the oven? Do you what do you you stir it or do you let it and do you let it cool after you serve it? Do you let it sit there or do you just take it out? You know, and if I asked you what are those instructions for a casserole, you'd have no idea. You know it goes some hot, you know it goes cooks for a while. Uh, but it just it depends. It depends on what's in the casserole. What is it made of? How much of it is there? Um, and, and you know, what are those different in, in uh ingredients, elements that are in there, um, the type of dish, the type, how big the oven is. All of those things matter because there are laws of physics that apply across the board. It's not subjective. They always apply. And our bodies are, um, in training for triathlon, is much, much more complex than cooking a casserole. But the same truths hold. There's physiological laws in physics and things that happen chemically to our body uh, that make us result, uh, respond or not in, in different fashions. So, when you're looking at a personalized plan, you have to realize that this specific training produces specific results and it does it over and over and over. Specific training produces specific results. Random training produces random results, which can include no results at all or, or injury. Um, so the more specific you can be, the more knowns that you can have going into a, a, a training program when you're designing it, the better. A lot of athletes will use just an arbitrary progressive overload uh, approach. So they'll just run you know, four miles this week and four and a half next and then five and then six, and they just add up to a particular race distance. Or they try from a progressive overload intensity-wise, they just try harder, try to run faster, bump up the paces every so often, and just try to run faster. Um, that would be or more, you know, going back to the myths, or more. They just try to, to, to run longer for a longer duration. So that would be equivalent to going back to the casserole analogy is saying, hey, I want to improve faster, so I'm just going to turn up the oven hotter. It, it'll cook faster if I just turn it up to 900 degrees, you know, or on the flip side, hey, let's cook it at 200 and I'll just leave it in there all day long. You know, everything that you do in a, you know, sticking something in an oven, it's going to get it hotter. You're going to have some gains, some improvement uh, performance. Uh, but at the end of the day, just like with cooking something, it may not cook at all. It, it you know, it may be partially raw or it may be burnt, uh, you know, charred. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get unless you consider what's what's in the oven. So you have to um, consider those things, the training variables, you know, the, the main ones, intensity, duration, frequency, sequence, and technique. So those things need to be managed and manipulated uh, for every single training session and across uh, a week or mesocycle. Uh, when you're doing each one of those, you need to also consider every athlete's performance level, gender, age, their weight, body composition, sport age, training background, developmental stage, um, hours available to train and the list goes on, but those are the main ones. Um, and when you apply it, if you think of, uh, here's an example that's not cooking, but it's some athletes. So if you had say, um, you're designing a training program, uh, for a half, someone to run a half marathon, uh, and they run a 22 minute 5k, you know, you're going to make it that level. You start designing this program that would be, you might assign that to be intermediate. You know, I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, but how differently that training program can be depends on that individual. If that individual that you're designing that for is a 22-year-old uh, 
uh, former cross country runner that weighs 150 pounds, that athlete, that's not a very good time. They have a whole lot of potential for improvement. Their training should look, you know, a certain way when you start building that out. If you take that same result, that 22 minute 5k, and how are you going to train a 54 year old man that weighs 240 pounds? That's an exceptional 5k. There's probably not a lot of room for improvement there. And at that age and that weight, a whole lot of extra training is going to introduce a lot more trauma than the benefit that they would ever, that that athlete would ever receive. So just one little variable um, difference, you know, basically, well, three, age, body composition, um, and, and weight of the athlete makes an enormous difference. I mean, you come to a totally different training focus. First of all, bike versus run. Um, your approach to those training sessions is going to be vastly different. Uh, so basically, you have to do the right work. The right work works. Just doing a work or just this random approach, um, you're not going to get anywhere near the results that you would. Uh, you're going to train a lot longer. You're going to have a lot more uh, injuries, and you're just going to get frustrated and not enjoy the sport as much. I love the analogy of the casserole in the oven, and they're the they're the ingredients that you're talking about. You know, using that analogy is the the age, body composition, uh, weight, and gender, and all those sorts of things. So um, it's a really good way, to, really good way to think about it. Um, and you also mentioned, so you talk a lot about the two primary fitness types, and you um, you keep it simple as in there's power and there's stamina. So um, to link it back to what we normally mention is so power is like your um, sort of lactic tolerance and your um, your power type of swimming and then stamina which is your you know your endurance and your longer swims and things like that can you go into a bit more depth about um, you know power and stamina and how you incorporate those into your training definitely there's there's a lot of different um, abilities out there that people talk about your endurance your muscular endurance your power your explosive power static power um, speed you know all these different words um, and when athletes start getting technical and start trying to train smart they start chasing a lot of different um, abilities and what I've found in, in kind of going back to the you know philosophy and talking about you know my approach I don't really consider that I have a, an approach or philosophy um, it's just what tends to emerge from, from what I see in the data, what kind of results are we getting? And, and what I've found um, through literally thousands of, of training cycles is there's really two things that athletes need to work on. They need to work on their threshold power, or we'll say two things fitness-wise after you use mechanics and technique. So you need to have the proper swim, form, run mechanics. Uh, but after you learn that, uh, it's threshold power, threshold power and stamina. Stamina, uh, let's define both those. Threshold power is an all-out effort for approximately one hour. Uh, most people are comfortable or familiar with that, um, you know, that definition. So stamina is just an intensity and a duration for longer than an hour. So that's what an athlete is going to train for that is, is race-specific. So an athlete um, training for an Olympic race, um, in most of them, is going to train at or near threshold is is race pace and especially for for sprint is over that threshold but any of the longer distances um their the athlete's ability is going to be limited by the the threshold power so if you think of a of a tent you know being your overall fitness the longest tent pole is the threshold power stamina can never be your stamina ability or that intensity can never be more than your threshold and so the objective is to reach as much of your threshold for the longest amount of time possible. And we know what some of those numbers are um, so that we can look at, for, for example, um, a, a bike intensity on a full iron 
race uh, for most athletes is going to range from 67% of threshold to 85% of threshold. Um, and that, that difference is how long it takes that athlete to finish the bike. So the longer their bike, you know, the, the lower threshold or the lower percent of their threshold they're going to be able to maintain because it's a longer duration. So focusing an athlete on increasing that threshold, that's the ceiling from which they begin to start to develop their stamina. Another thing to think about with both of these is that you cannot uh, significantly develop both of them at the same time. Um, so when you're trying to develop, you know, it's, it's either a one or the other. If you're developing stamina, it takes a whole lot of time to build it, obviously, because it's a, it's a longer duration. The single sessions that you do during the week need to be much, much longer. Uh, so it takes most of your energy, most of your capacity to improve. Uh, and your recovery is recovering from these long sessions. Um, when you're already carrying a very, very high training load, uh, you don't have as much uh, energy and uh, recovering capacity to develop your threshold um, very much. Uh, you know, pros obviously have more ability to do that, but they're performing the uh, they're performing the races much quicker. So their races are eight eight and a half hour race days, you know, or four hour race days for halves. They're not the same as most age groupers. So when age groupers are approaching um, their these abilities, they should really focus on one or the other, and do one as very well as 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 best they can. So with the stamina, that's something that you want to train and develop that ability when you need it. And basically, you need it leading up to your race. You don't need that ability to ride at a you know X percent of your threshold for for five six hours. You don't need that in December unless you're racing in January, February. Um, so it's being smart about when you're, um, what you're developing during what phase of the season. And building power is always the first thing you do. So I have an example of an athlete that, um, well, let me give you one, you know, here's, a, here's a, a thing to remember by. So fast before far or strong before long. Either one of those, you build that power first uh, and then you work to extend that at your race distance uh, intensity level where there's the swim, the bike, or the run. I had an athlete that uh, actually got into Kona uh, via the lottery. Uh, he wasn't working with me at the time. He knew me. We, we chatted. He wasn't really even training that much. Uh, but on April 10th, this is about three years ago, April 10th, I get this email. It says, uh, uh, Jeff, I'm uh, going to have to start training here. Uh, so he had exactly six months uh, to get ready for Kona. A very difficult course, had not been training at all, never done an Ironman before. Um, and so we had six months. And so, you know, the initial, an athlete would think, you know, I need to start learning how to go for 15, 16, 17 hours. And so what we talked about is I told him, let's train for a shorter race. You're, you're a good athlete. Um, let's, let's train for a 13 hour race. And I asked him what his times were. Um, what's your, your worst time, your, your the uh, time that you would take um, say, Hey, I'll be satisfied with it. And he said, 17 hours. I just want to finish. So what's your you know, conservative? What do you think you'll get time? He said 15 hours. And I said, what's your jumping up and down doing backflips time? And he said 13 hours. So I said, let's train for a 13 hour, um, Ironman. And so we started just working for the first several months in the, in the water. It was nothing but drills. Uh, this guy went from a 15, uh, 15, 15, um, 800 meter swim to a 11.55 in about two months. So it shortened uh, by almost 20, 30 minutes his, um, his swim time. He learned to ride the bike actually in his 30s. He was an adult that learned to ride, ride the bike. So we developed that skill. Same thing, we increased his threshold so that about four to five months out, 
his thresholds and his power, his speed was, uh, was so good, he was able to race a lot better. So on race day, um, he actually finished in 1322, uh, but he had a flat on the bike and had to carry his bike for 45 minutes. So he beat his, his jump up and down goal by uh, almost 20 minutes um, with the approach of building uh, power first and then extending that to the duration that you need uh, to finish whatever race you're racing for. Mm, awesome. And we, that's what I find, um, you know, for swimmers who, you know, might be starting out and they're not too confident in the swim, we've, we get a very similar result with our Mastering Freestyle program. Go, just going through drills and improving the stroke and then, you know, and building the power and then you can um, build on the fitness after that. So that's, um, yeah, that, that's awesome. Now let's, let's talk about uh, race execution. So we've talked a lot about training and how, you know, how important that is leading into races, but what... Um, you know, what specifically, um, you know, sort of do, do you teach athletes in terms of race execution and how's it all tying together? Yeah, well, one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of athletes makes is not having a plan, basically. They're just kind of guessing and winging it, trying to figure out what they should do. Failure to meet race day execution um, or race day ex, uh, expectations, rather, is never a training issue. So athletes very rarely tie training data to their race expectations, but they're very, very quick to have a failed expectation and then immediately go back, oh, I need to do this differently in training. I need more long runs. I need more speed work. I need this, that, the other. So they drive the, drive the connection from race result backwards when they didn't start with build their race execution plan um, based on their training results. So race day, I mean, there are times when you just have a great day or a horrible day. That, that happens. But by and large, racing should not reveal your fitness. You should already know what your fitness level is from your training data. You should be able to um, predict uh, race results and pacing and come up with a very specific race uh, strategy. We call that race execution or race X. Um, so going into a race, you know exactly what your pace is going to do. A lot of athletes will try to hone that over many, many races over, over time. You know, here's what I tried to do in this race and then three months later, a different race and then you know, later that year or the next year. But the thing that happens, maybe that strategy is the same, but their training, the way they quantify their training and use their training data um, isn't consistent or they're different. They're, you know, at, for, at a minimum, they're a year older, uh, probably a little heavier, you know, every year. Um, so things change. And so being able to tie that, that training data specifically uh, to your race execution. I mentioned before there's um, – we do that with triodos, being able to, to come up with those based on your, your functional threshold tests, um, your long single sessions. We do race rehearsals, which a lot of people do, but, but making those very specific on a specific percent of your, your threshold over that duration. And then all of the, uh, the workloads on your longer rides um, that you've done previously set you up for that. So you're doing long rides, for example. Um, that are not just steady state rides, but they have very specific intervals in them that are at higher levels. Uh, maybe it's, you know, 20 minutes at threshold followed immediately by 15 to 30 minutes, you know, in a, at race pace or near zone three. Uh, so it's, it's improving your ability to recover uh, while you're still working hard. And then you're able to take those performances and tie them directly to, to a race rehearsal and then those race rehearsals uh, through your race day. So some of the other, you know, that's bike. That was very bike intensive. Uh, I know it's even harder on the swim. You don't have anything to measure by. Uh, but another big thing is the off the bike runability. A lot of athletes struggle with that. And, and even, you know, anybody that's listening, go out and search for it. 
look for any comparison of off the bike run abilities to your standalone run abilities. So if I run a, you know, a three hour marathon or a five hour marathon, what should my off the bike ability be? And, and that data out there doesn't exist anywhere. And you find a couple of people mention it. One person says it's about 20% or 20 minutes slower off the bike um, than standalone. Um, but that is for elite runners that doesn't apply to people um, that are much slower. And then think of all the things that impact that um, when you're trying to develop that. Your, your actual your runability matters for sure. If it's a three hour, five hour marathon, but so does how long you've been on the bike. If you're coming, if you're starting the run, you know, at the 12 hour mark with the same runability as someone who who's starting it at the nine hour mark. I mean, that's just a huge difference. Um, your weight makes a difference over time. The amount, you know, running a, you know, a 200 pound person running a three thirty marathon standalone is not going to run just 20 minutes slower on a full at the end of a, you know, 12 to 15 hour day. So all of those things matter greatly and, and without data and without a whole bunch of people to compare to, you just can't arrive at those. So, um, the data is important, but then so is going into each race, connecting training data and having realistic uh, training-based um, expectations that are that are set prior to racing, and then revisiting those immediately after the race uh, before you attribute just random execution plans to your training and trying to modify your training. Yeah, that's right, and that's something that um, that I've found is that you know, as as an adult athlete, your your racing results shouldn't come as a surprise. It should be um, an expected re- outcome from the training that you've been doing. So if you look at the uh, the top swimmers, like let's say the pool swimmers, uh, let's say that you've got someone training for 100 freestyle, um, they'll mostly be training for that sort of second 50. So let's say they want to go, uh, you know, it might be like I say 56 for example. So they might need to come home in a 28.5 for that second lap. Well, when you're doing back end speed sets in training, the aim is to be be able to hit 28.5 um, in training once you've you know put in all that work. So when you can't, when it comes to race day, the only reason that you you know don't hit that expected time is if you're having a you know, a bad day or you're not tapered right or something like that. But right. you know your race results should be an expected outcome as a result of your training, and that's um, and that's what you're talking about, which I think is um, you know it's the the right approach because if you're um, you know just you know winging it like we were talking about and just uh, you know you're not sure what time you're going to do. Um, it's because you haven't been testing or tracking the right things in training. So, um, what I've asked for, um, I've asked for you know something that you can provide for for our our triathletes that listen to the podcast. So, um, you've you've um, kindly um, giving you're giving away free training for the the triathletes who are interested in this stuff. So, let's say if someone's training for an Ironman or a half Ironman or an Olympic distance race, um, you know, and they've got a couple months to build up to it. Um, if they're interested in this sort of stuff, then you're offering some free training. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, well, it's, it's not exactly free training. Uh, we're looking for very specific people, but we're asking for your feedback. We're calling it the TriDot Free for Feedback Program. So in our normal training, we get all the training data. We get all, all that stuff we need, but we're looking for some more subjective uh, mental understanding, a, a bunch of additional information, feedback. So uh, what we're offering is for athletes who want to participate in that program, um, just to let us let us know. And we're looking for athletes who have at least one season's triathlon experience, who have done at least one triathlon, obviously. Um, they plan to compete in one this, this following year in the next 10 months or so, at least an Olympic 
or longer Olympic half iron, full iron. Um, and that they're getting ready to, to start training in the next, in the next couple of weeks, two, three weeks. Um, if they're able to meet those criteria, um, and give us their feedback, uh, we'd love to give them some free training. So we, um, have a website, um, page set up just for you guys, um, to where you can go there. Just give us your, your name, email. I'm not sure what's on the page. Um, I'll have to go, go look, but just give us your email. We'll give you all of the, uh, the information on how the feedback works, what it is and details of the program and, um, and those qualifications. I think they're, they're pretty basic, but we want legit people that are, they're serious about performance or serious about, uh, training smart, using their time effectively, avoiding injury. And if they can, um, you know, give us that additional feedback. It helps us to improve what we're offering, serve our, our athletes better. Um, we've done this um, a couple times before and just got some incredible feedback. Uh, the response was just outstanding from the athletes, and, and we learned so much too. So we're just happy to extend that uh, to your athletes, Brent. Awesome. Thank you for that. So yeah, so if, if you're a triathlete training for anything Olympic distance or over and you know, you're looking to start shortly, um, like for example, we've got the Melbourne Ironman happening in a couple of weeks' time, um, and there's going to be quite a number of athletes who are going to register um, the next day for the for next year's um, Melbourne Ironman. So if, if that's someone, you know, if that's you, and you're looking to get some very specific and, and personalised training, then um, then this is um, something that's that's definitely worth uh, checking out and considering. So uh, thanks to Jeff, I appreciate it. And is this um, you mentioned it was limited uh, to the yeah. first 200 athletes because I know it's it's very um, time and energy intensive for you because you are working with coaches. It's not um, it's not just something that they can access, uh, you know, right. online. It's you've actually got coaches working with with the athletes that are interested in this. Right. We have um, a team of coaches, and so we design all all the programs. Work with the coaches. The coaches work with the athletes based on different. Um, you know, whatever your, your preference is for how much interaction you want with your coach. Uh, but we are limiting it to 200 athletes. Um, so the first ones that, that come and qualify, uh, will, it might take a few days to, to verify everything and to finalize, you know, the group after, um, you, uh, get the information. Um, do you want me to go ahead and give that, that web URL? Yeah. Yep. Go for it. Yeah. So that's just try.com forward slash effortless swimming. And so you'll, you'll see the information right there. As soon as we get your information, we'll, we'll shoot you an email with all of the details, make sure everything's um, crystal clear and you understand uh, how the program works and get you that free training. And we look forward to getting your feedback. Good stuff. And for those that are listening on their, on their iPods or their iPhones uh, and they're not on the computer, uh, I'll provide a link on our effortlessswimming.com site. Or you can go to swimmingpodcast.com and you'll be able to see the link to this interview there. Um, and you can access the um, the offer there. So, Jeff, thank you very much. Where can where can people find you if they want to find out more about what we've we've talked about, and yeah. you know, where they can where they can find TriDot? Yeah, just TriDot.com is the best place. Uh, so we talk about the science. We have a lot of athlete testimonials, kind of description of of one how it came to be, what it looks like, what the science is behind it, um, the methodology. A lot of it's uh, uh, right there. Good stuff. So trydot.com. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. I know that uh, for the, the triathletes that are training for those Olympic distance or longer events, um, and even, even swimmers who are, um, you know, who are thinking about what the training plan should look like, I think this information um, covers more than just triathlon. So this is uh, great information. So thanks again, Jeff. This is, uh, this is excellent information. Definitely. Thank you for having me, Brent. Thanks, Jeff. 
Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.